0: What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve the practice of athletic trainers. Today, I have Dr. Obi Benavides, and he is talking about opioid abuse in athletics. Uh, he's going to share some of his story, his personal experience with athletes and opi- opioid abuse. Uh, he's going to talk to some about the signs and symptoms, things to look for, uh, some of the biological ways that it works, and uh, so really just opioid abuse in athletics. So, again... We're joined by Dr. Obi Benavidez here on the Sports Medicine Broadcast. So this one is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash opioid abuse. And just a little bit about Obi before we get started. He joined the Lamar University Sports Medicine Department in July where he's responsible for baseball and their drug prevention education uh, coordination, and then he graduated from UNT, which is University of North Texas, That's the Mean Green, right, be Yes, sir. There you go. Uh, where he d- earned his degree in kinesiology, a master's degree from Texas Tech, and then a DAT from Temple University just this last May. He's been an athletic trainer for five years, and also done some uh, blogging on for the NATA, and I know he's talked with Alicia Pennington uh, about opioid abuse, so something that's that's really a big deal for him right now. So without much further ado, we're going to get right to it. Obi, welcome to the sports medicine broadcast.
1: Thanks for having me. You know, there's really a few things that I want to talk about, but all really, you know, relating to opioid abuse. Um, you know, one just in the setting that I'm in, which is college, but also just how that is relevant to, um, all settings for athletic trainers and then just, you know, how we can kind of, um, take care of ourselves, uh, you know, on an individual basis. So, you know, just, you know, some quick stats. Um, I talked about this in my in my BOC blog, but you know, in a very short amount of time, in just under 20 years, um, opioid overdose deaths were five times higher or increased, you know, uh, is a pretty significant increase in, in such a short amount of time. Um, and then whenever you look at the consumption of certain, certain pain medications, um, in a smaller window of time, about 10 years, consumption of uh, oxycodone increased by nearly 500%. So, you know, th- we're seeing that those two are, are mirroring each other, a huge increase in consumption, and then, unfortunately, an increase in uh, overdose. So there, you know, as that relates to... All right, so
0: real quick, yep. um, you said opioids and oxycodone. Yep. Uh, so go ahead and tell me what's the difference there.
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, for, again, being athletic trainers, we deal a lot with post-operative cases and um, our patients usually get prescribed pain medication. So, um, an opiate, there's opiate and opioid are pretty similar, but opiate is going to be something that's a little bit more, it's naturally uh, derived from a plant. Um, and that's going to be something like morphine. And then an opiate is more of a broad term and a little bit, it's more of your man-made or synthetic drugs. So, um, you know, things like, uh, you know, Norco is pretty, um, Pretty common, uh, postoperatively, so uh, things like that. But again, all pain medication. So, and these drugs are really effective for pain, which is great, right? Um, so they're really going to reduce the pain signal and perception. But there is um, a euphoria or a high that people get with taking that. So that's kind of um, the dangerous part. Uh, and then the other, the other component uh, with pain medication is that um, there are components um, the acts on certain parts of the brain that control the breathing. So you can get, um, if you have too much, you can suppress your breathing, which is obviously, um, not good. It, oops. And then, um, you know, I did, you know, there, there are a little bit of different terms as far as, you know, we talk about addiction, abuse, um, overdose and misuse. And there, there are some differences there as well. So, um whenever we talk about addiction that's going to be something that's chronic that is a condition um that's uh, you know physical dependence on something and so whenever your body doesn't have that you then um have you know you go through your withdrawal so you do have actual symptoms um with that where misuse is something uh where you're maybe taking a medication without a prescription uh, or t- you know taking a medication that's not yours or taking it longer than instructed, or more than uh, your physician has instructed you to do so. Um, and then when we look at abuse, that is um, taking a drug for a desirable effect. Um, you know whether that's psychological or physiological. Um, you know there's going to be some differences within those three, but they're all pretty similar.
0: Okay, so let's talk about. Um, kind of your story and why this became important to you. And then we'll talk about what it looks like for the athletic trainer.
1: Sure. Um, In March of 2018, uh, you know, we're getting ready for for spring ball, which is, you know, pretty hectic. But um, we had a student athlete who um, I was very close with. Uh, He died of an accidental overdose. He um, got a pill from uh, someone that he trusted And uh, it turned out to not be that. It was something that was um, laced with uh, carfentanil, which is a synthetic opioid, um, and is actually 10,000 times more potent than morphine. Um, So definitely lethal. Um, And we're seeing that in the U.S. kind of everywhere. People are – these drugs are being made in, you know, different parts of the world and sent to the U.S. And uh, people are taking things that, uh, you know, they're not intentionally – or they're they're taking things they're not meaning to um and unfortunately it's uh having pretty bad results but um yeah you know after that happened uh i really wanted to do something you know about it um you know do my part and spread a message and hopefully you know reduce the amount of of deaths related to to opioids so um and then for athletic trainers, just really raising awareness on you know what are we doing to to prevent this, um, you know, and just having a, a better understanding of you know what's out there. So, so uh, the the pill that your your athlete
0: um, received was it uh, like illegal, or was it somebody that, something that they had got from a pharmacy? So
1: it was not. It was it was it was got it was purchased off uh you know i guess uh, again a friend or who he thought was a friend and it was given to him as uh, a pain medication you know just hey this is um oxycodone and you know it was made with you know carfentanil which is again very lethal um even to the touch so um he bought it as what he thought was a pain pill you know a prescription pain medication but um It wasn't. So not technically, you know, not illegal from, you know, what he believed it was, but illegal um, as to how the transaction, I guess, happened. So um, and how that medication was uh, obtained by that individual who sold it to him.
0: And so that one pill was what did it? Yes.
1: Yeah. So the one pill, um, again, just because of the carfetanol and how strong it is, they, it's measured in micrograms, so it can go through the pores of the skin. So, um, you know, when people, when they do raids and that type of thing, people wear gloves just so it doesn't absorb into the skin because it's that lethal. Um, so, yeah, very, 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 uh, very strong, um, very strong drug. All right.
0: So let's kind of continue talking about um, what what we need to know or,
1: you know, what does what does that look like? In athletics, sure. Um, You know, there's a few different things, and you know, from from a college standpoint, um, you know, we have we do have NCAA drug testing, um, and institutional drug testing. Most places have that, and you know, I think through drug testing at the institutional level, you can really catch these things pretty early on. If someone does maybe have an issue where they are taking pain pain medication that um, you know. One, they're not prescribed or more often than they should uh, should be taking it. So, um, you know, there are ways to do that. Uh, as far as the panels for drug testing, increasing those uh, panels to where you're actually, you know, you're testing for, um, you know, right now it's, you know, PEDs, um, you know, marijuana is a huge one, cocaine. Uh, but a lot of the panels don't include things that you'd find in pain medication. So um, by adding that panel, I think you'd be able to catch a lot more. Uh, before it's too late, and you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, put a target on my back uh, with NCAA. But right now, their aim is to prevent. Uh, it is to prevent drug use, but from a performance standpoint. So, um, you know, the NCAA primarily tests for PEDs, um, which does obviously have bad effects long term as well. But um, I think if we were to change our mindset and say, okay, we need to look at the whole picture. You know total health care of the athlete um and include um things like pain medications in in that panel i think that would um benefit a lot of people and you know there is there is going to be a cost associated with that but with um you know i don't think you can necessarily put a price tag on on someone's health and someone's life so um, that would be that definitely be one way that i think um you know the ncaa institutions can help prevent you know this epidemic that we have here.
0: I know here in Texas we had um, steroid testing at the high school, so like they'd kind of like randomly select schools and randomly select athletes, and they did that for a few years. And there's there's such a small number, like I think they didn't even catch anybody, you know, for a year or so. Um, using steroids in the high school setting. And so that's one of the questions that people are, are like, well, why don't they test for recreational drugs instead? Because then you can get like an idea of what's going on. And sure. so again, it's it's what's your focus? Are you just trying to make sure that the field is level, that we're not giving steroids? Or is it that you're trying to test for drugs? And, it, you know, it sounds like that's they're really just trying to make sure that the field is level, that they're not taking exactly. steroids rather than the overall health of the athlete, which again, it's tricky is like, how much do you monitor, you know, they're adults. And
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, trying to take away from more of the punitive, you know, you know, if you test positive for whatever drug you're going to miss X amount of games, um, I think maybe again, kind of switching our, our focus to, you know, we want to make sure that we're taking care of you, um, and your your overall wellness i think it should be in my opinion should be the approach Um, and then with you know with the institutional drug testing and with you know ncaa if we were to add a different panel which would include pain medication you know ideally there would be a medical waiver just like there is with adhd you know if you pop positive for this you do have to have proof of you know a diagnosis from a physician Uh, the same would apply for someone that had surgery maybe you know, two weeks ago and they were randomly selected, they are going to test positive obviously, but you know, if someone is selected and you know, they had surgery, you know, five months ago and they're still, you know, traces of a drug in their system, then obviously we, we have a problem. So um, that, that would be the approach that I would like to take. And, um, you know, at Lamar, we uh, are very fortunate that we are, you know, have a very supportive um, athletic director and, you um, been able to to implement some new things into our drug testing policy. So I'm really excited that we've been able to do that.
0: So you just mentioned like two weeks post-surgery, you could expect to still see some traces, five months you shouldn't expect to. So obviously speaking, generalities here, how long is an opioid or opiate generally prescribed for? And then how long from your last pill does that
1: remain in you? Sure. Um, You know, so as far as the panel goes and how you're I guess it's how you're testing. So a hair follicle test is going to go back months. Um, saliva is usually, I want to say, like a 72-hour. It's not very long as far as what they're testing for. Um, and then urine, I want to say, has like a thir- about a 30-day. 30-day, um, I guess, uh, you can you know go back 30 days. Um, but every drug is going to be a little bit different as far as how long it stays in your system. So I don't have an exact answer as to, you know, it stays in your system for you know 14 days Um, but with that testing again you know someone did have a surgery five months ago Um, typically they get you know two weeks supplies if that and rarely do they get a refill so all that would be logged and you know we would go back to the physician and get records Um, and ideally we would track some of that ourselves as far as an institution goes. so um, I would know that you know John Doe got prescribed this, this many pills, um, did not get a refill, um, you know, have the exact drug and the physician, the procedure and all that logged. Um, and then so if he did test positive in five months, there would be, you know, that would be an indication that he was either getting it illegally or um, maybe hoarded his pills or her pills, uh, or, you know, was going to other providers to get pain medication.
0: Yeah, obviously and like I guess I are speaking in generalities there, but sure. it's interesting just to just to think that, you know, two weeks ago I could have had a, taken a pain medicine and still test positive. Um and so in in doing that, I don't have you looked at the the testing, like do they can they test the the volume, I guess, that's or the concentration that's in the Yeah.
1: So and um you know, I know there are institutions that do that, so um you know just depending on where you're at, um or what kind of program you, or what kind of program you want to establish, you can do tests. Okay, we're going to test you, or you know, maybe not tell them, but in a week and see if the the concentration has changed. Um, so you know that they are making adjustments to, you know, to whatever uh, drug they were doing. Interesting. Yep. All right.
0: So looking at the secondary setting for a high school. So realistically, I should expect you know I have a kid having surgery tomorrow, um, and if he's prescribed pain medicine he's a adolescent he shouldn't be able to get any refills but realistically hopefully the doctor is only giving him that one right that one two week set of pain pills if that um and then so so realistically after that two weeks he should be done with opiates opioids um, what am i looking at for that athlete to see if something is off
1: yeah, um, you know, pupils are going to be a huge thing. Sometimes they're, you know, they're, they won't, I guess, respond the same. Um, they might complain of, you know, constipation or they might have nausea, um, have kind of a tired, you know, look on their face, not show up to things. Um, you know, the other the other thing to look out for is, you know, sometimes people that do develop problems start requesting certain medication by name and dosage, so that's going to be a huge red flag if someone, you know, comes to your clinic and asks for, you know, if they can get a refill on, you know, X medication at this dosage. Um, even, you know, young kids, you don't expect that, but that does happen. And that's actually one of the risk factors for um, addiction and abuse is um, people that are prescribed medication early in life um, have a higher risk of developing um, an addiction. So. You know whether that's a question in your PPE or just you know talking to your student athlete, getting that information, I think can uh, you know help you identify who may or may not have a problem. Um, so. All
0: right. So can I continue? We um, I know we mentioned some about like the the makeup of the opioids opiates. Sure. Um, I know you said you're going to cover some of the like the biology of how those work. Uh, are you ready to go into those?
1: Um. Yes, or well, actually, if we can, I was just going to kind of go more. Hit, hit. I have some some points. I think. All right, we'll we can, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so the other one is going to be huge. Is really and more of a prevention is going to be education. And as athletic trainers, um, you know, we do see these students every day for the most part, and having that patient education is going to be huge. Um, you know, surgeons and you know other providers do typically provide their patients with some sort of home care instructions. Um, and the side effects associated with you know with their pain medication but I think if we also you know develop our own um, policies and practices um, as far as you know pain medication goes I think we're gonna be able to assure a safe and effective post-operative pain control um, plan for our student athletes so you know I know in the secondary setting as far as going to appointments with student athletes I know that's not you know, typically, gonna happen, but um, you know, once they come in, uh, following their surgery, um, ideally with their parents, you know, giving your own kind of spiel on on what to expect postoperatively and how to properly take the pain medication, um, I think is gonna gonna help prevent some of those problems. So, just patient education is gonna be huge.
0: All right. So, on that, to everybody listening, if you have some sort of patient education plan for post-op surgery like the for the pain uh send that to me or just send me like a facebook message email or something like that because i want to see that and share that and put that so i'll put that um as an example in the show notes so if you have that send that to us um you know and then that way we can kind of look over it and see what he thinks and then we can post it on there the example and maybe some of these are the things that can change so if you have some sort of home uh pain control plan or uh, like post-op uh, pamphlet that that you would give to your athletes, then send that over to us. So go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I know in the secondary setting, it gets a little tricky because you are dealing with minors, but I think having the, the parent there is going to make make a huge difference as well. Just, you know, there are adults that don't really know what to expect um, postoperatively. And, you know, establishing real goals for both the patient and their parent um, is important and realistic ones um, when it relates to pain you know, pain medication isn't necessarily made to alleviate all pain, it's it's given to you to be functional. And I think that's gonna be, uh, I think that should be a message that's given to people is everyone expects to be 100% pain-free and that's just not the case, unfortunately. Um, and just letting them know that there is gonna be a level of discomfort, um, which is normal. Um, and I know parents, you know, don't like to see their children in pain or, you know, um, in any discomfort, but that's, you know, that's kind of how things work. Um, so, you know, coming up with a plan even before surgery, I think, or having that talk before uh, procedure is going to be helpful. Um, and then the other thing, too, as far as um, education goes, is disposal of medication, proper disposal. And I think I, I, I sent you a link, but um, the Drug Enforcement Agency, um, their website gives a link and you can find uh, disposals for, for your medication um, so you're not just hanging on to those. Um, there's been, you know, quite a few studies, but one in particular, um, showed that, uh, 33% of, uh, prescript- only 33% of your pills are, are consumed. So that's a huge number of pills that are left over and people just hang on to those. And so when you do that and you don't dispose of them, you just have a large number of pills kind of in your hands and that's how, you know, okay, well, I'm going to give one to my friend because her back hurts or, you know, I'm just going to take this when I, you know, When my back hurts or you know take this before or after competition that's um where we start seeing you know the the misuse and the abuse come in yeah i mean even here in the secondary setting
0: i'm like i'll get a kid you will you know i took a a pain pill or something like that and i don't go into all the details because usually they don't know they just got it from their mom or whatever yeah well i had a pain pill uh and it could have been ibuprofen or tylenol but it could have been a prescription medicine that they've had and it's it's a huge deal there so just holding on to it makes you more likely to use it um, or give it away to somebody
1: when it's not their prescription. And that's like your friend, that's really dangerous. No, so. yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think people just do have that kind of mindset as far as, you know, even price goes. Like, oh, well, I don't want to have to pay for this again. Um, so I'm going to hold on to it. And again, you're just kind of. Uh, You know, seventy percent of the pills that you got um, for a different time, and that's uh, again kind of putting yourself in a bad situation. But you know that website is great. Um, Usually, Walgreens or CVS also have like boxes when you walk into the pharmacy that you can go and dispose of pills properly. So um, I would highly recommend that um, you know for all athletic trainers, um, you know, especially in the secondary setting, just it's easy to log into and show someone where to go. And the other thing, so one of the other points is kind of a monitoring program. And I think this can be done really at any level. I know um, the athletic trainers in high school, you have um, quite a bit of patience, um, especially in the larger high schools. But um, as far as like logging, you know, what someone, you know, what procedure they had or what medication they were taking and maybe just having a patient interview. say, hey, you know, in a a week, I want to follow up with you. How many pain med, you know, how many pills do you have? okay you have this many are you taking them no okay well maybe it's time to that we dispose of them um, and you know from kind of a, a global level um, there are drug monitoring programs in effect across the u.s um, and it's a database that just tracks prescription medication so it gives a provider and the patient and how many times they have had you know refills and on what drugs um, and following this implementation in new york was a 75% reduction in patients seeing multiple prescribers to to get pain medication so um, we are seeing that that is an effective tool to to bring down those numbers.
0: Hey, so you talked about the one week follow-up and to discuss the number of pills so um and taking the AT, AT's care course that's one of the things that I've kind of I've learned and I've been able to do is to kind of step into a situation because that's not really a conversation that we're trained to have, but, it, and it can be a very difficult ha- conversation. Hey, I'm going to follow up with you in a week. I'm going to ask you about this. Um, I'm going to ask you about these pain pills and we're going to kind of come up with a plan. And and so going through that course, like it just enabled me to feel more comfortable with asking those tougher questions and Absolutely. stepping into a situation rather than just saying, well, I hope he's doing the right thing. And just so being more proactive um, so I really like that. I know it doesn't it doesn't specifically apply here, but just having that ability or that skill set to step in and say, this is what we need to do. Tell me about what you're feeling, experiencing. Let's make a plan together sure. and go forward from there. So,
1: Yeah, I mean, I think once you start implementing things like that, it becomes a lot more normal, you know what I mean? Um, these, you know, athletes talk to each other, and I think once they see, okay, someone's doing this, it's not going to be so strange that, you know, you have this conversation with me whenever I have, or if I have a surgery. So, um, kind of, I think implementing early is uh, going to help everybody out. Um, and then, when we talk about identification of, you know, possible seekers or abusers, uh, you know, we spend so much time with our student athletes that we we typically know, you know, what kind of person they are. And if you see, you know, changes in their behavior, um, especially following a procedure, I think. Um, you know, having, like you said, a conversation with them, um, while it may be uncomfortable, um, you know, could possibly save their lives. So, um, you know, whenever you talk to your student athletes and, you know, even if it's just a casual conversation, um, there are gonna be behaviors that would be a red flag. So anything from, you know, failing to comply with their regimen or if they are, you know, losing Uh, their, their pain medications, those are going to all be red flags and maybe, um, you know, maybe have a chat with them or their provider and, you know, see what's going on. Um, and you know, with athletes, we know that, you know, they get started on, you know, what they call pain medication pretty early. So like you said, ibuprofen, Tylenol, um, they get started on those pretty, pretty early. So maybe having the conversation with them about using proper terminology, I think will, um, you know, Tylenol, yes, while it is a painkiller, you n- you're not taking a pain medication. So um, I think just educating them on that, too, uh, is helpful. Um, and I know we talked a little bit so about... So on that,
0: do you have a, a good resource where it might say, like, a poster or, you know, a printout or something like that? I mean, I would think that maybe on the, the government website, whatever it is, um, that you could do it, have some sort of chart saying pain pills, not pain pills, or addictive, not addictive, that kind of thing. I mean, I know you're working with Lamar Baseball. Sure. And whenever I was at Houston Baptist, basically, like, the players, all right, well, can you give me two packets of ibuprofen before every practice, that kind of thing. And so they become, like,
1: addicted out of habit rather than addicted out of, like, physiologically. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, that, I mean, that's a great idea. Honestly, I don't, you know, right now, you know, the posters that are really out are kind of the NCAA band, again, the the band list, which is, again, your stimulants, your PEDs. But I think that's a great idea. And, you know, right now what I'm trying to work on is just implementing an education, maybe an education program, you know, maybe twice a year for all student athletes um, with various topics. So that would be one of them because, like you said, they do get used to to taking certain medication, and it's kind of just like a ritual for them, especially with uh, certain sports. Whether it has a true effect at a certain point, probably not. But, you know, I've had that conversation with student athletes too. Um, you know, there is there is a ceiling effect where you can take all that, you know, ibuprofen you want and it's not gonna have, it's gonna have the same effect from a pain standpoint, you know, the more you take isn't necessarily gonna help uh, lessen the pain. So, I mean, I, I like to have just kind of general conversations with them. Um, I think one-on-one is pretty effective and I know we don't have time to necessarily do one-on-one with everybody, um, but you know, if you have that student athlete that is coming to you for, you know, oh, I take ibuprofen every day or, or I've always done this, maybe having that conversation with them and talking about, you know, how the drug works. Like, yes, you can take 12 of these, but your pain level is probably going to be the same. You're going to have other systemic effects that aren't aren't great.
0: So in that same kind of line of thought there, do you think taking the ibuprofen regularly makes it easier for someone to say, well, let me just take a stronger painkiller and a stronger painkiller. And then like getting into opioids, do you think that builds that habit that makes it more likely.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, and there's, I've read a few, um, pretty interesting articles on kind of the athletic or, you know, the athlete mindset and they do these things for performance You know, they want to feel good. They don't want to feel pain. Um, and that's not necessarily just with competition, but that may be with conditioning or lifting. Um, and to me, that would be, that would definitely be, you know, a red flag if someone is doing this, um, out of habit, you know, for a performance, you know reason i think you know for me i'd be I'd, that would be an indication to have a conversation with them as far as um you know what they may be taking in the future or what they've taken in the past and um yeah again a couple a couple of uh, uncomfortable minutes could could save someone's life and uh, their future
0: all right so we have people watching live uh, dj gilland and jamie de rollo oh, nice. they shouted out to you saying hey i know don stuckey CC avener david mcdonald uh, they're all chicken in chicken checking in live so appreciate any of the questions you guys have um, whenever we're going live and if you specifically have questions that's what that's what we're doing here on the sports medicine broadcast uh, helping to answer your questions in a way that you understand them so send them that way on Facebook or we obviously we'll give you contact information at the end for um, getting a hold of dr. Benavidez here uh, but we're gonna continue on talking about opioid abuse yeah. and ethics I
1: mean you know for those in the secondary or you know any other setting aside from um, college I mean if any sort of recommendations or if y'all have anything that you've done that's worked, you know please feel free to share Um, we can always you know improve what what we currently have so um, I know we did talk a little bit about more of the biological stuff and just knowing you know I guess the the side effects of pain medication is gonna be super helpful um, for us so um, you know that's gonna include you know constipation uh, nausea Vomiting, dry mouth, sleepiness, uh, dizziness, confusion, depression, um, itching, which would uh, usually kind of you know you see that with morphine, um, sweating, uh, and then just low testosterone levels actually um, can be a side effect of of uh, narcotics. So you know, if you again we we know our student athletes pretty well. So if we kind of see some of these things occurring, um, having a having a chat with them would definitely be uh, an indication. So, and then
0: um, so like if I take, uh, NyQuil, like I got, you know, I think it's 30 milliliters, or something like that. You're supposed to take like the, the cup. I'll take, usually I'll take like half of it and then I add water to the other half or I'll take even less than half. And it's like, if I take a full cup, I'm drowsy the whole day. And so is there a, is there like a normal there? Like people who take pain medicines more often are less affected or is it just because of the like the body i mean i'm um, six foot one 220 pounds so you would think that i should be able to take nyquil or like one time when i had a ticket volume for a surgery like i was walking sideways right like the nurse literally had to walk beside me um is there something like that
1: that i maybe body type that be a possible indicator as well um you know i think when you do have someone that is maybe addicted and taking these regularly, you know, they are looking for the next high, if you will. Um, And those effects are, you know, they're eventually going to start not having those same effects. So that's where they're going to go to something a little bit more, um, you know, something stronger or um, a different route to take that medication. Um, But as far as, you know, how it affects, you know, I've seen, you know, I've kind of seen a, a wide range of people that, you know, like you said, pretty sensitive to to a pain medication you know if I take something um, I can I usually get pretty drowsy very quickly but um, I've you know had other patients that are a lot smaller than me um, and do just you know just fine with it they don't get any of the side effects and then I think that's gonna just be really an individual you know kind of tolerance for for the pain medication Um, but if we do kind of notice some of these things that are lasting a little bit longer um, than you know than what they were prescribed and you know, again, red flag for me. So.
0: All right. So again, coming back to the itchy, dry mouth, the nausea, the avoiding public situations or whatever constipation peoples are off requesting medication by name and dosage. Absolutely. All
1: right. Yeah. um, Let's see. Um, And then the other thing, as far as treatment, this is really uh, related to overdose. Um, You know, we're going to typically see this with, again, the people that are addicted and, um generally not going to be with uh, our patient population but you never know um in 2016 president obama signed into law uh, the comprehensive addiction and recovery act um, and that gave federal funds to states to do um, training for naloxone or uh, narcan which is um, kind of reverses the effects of uh, opioid overdose um, and you can i know in houston Um, you can go to, you know, city health department and they do free training, uh, for that. So I think just having that in, you know, your training for, you know, in general, I think is, uh, helpful because, you know, this can happen anywhere, you know, it can be at, you know, the airport and something like this happens or just out on the street and, you know, you see someone that is, um, has overdosed. And so I think just having that training in general is helpful, but, um, yeah, you know, it, again, people offer it for free. Um, usually it's, um it's a nasal spray. I think it's like four milligrams is the average dose. And that just refer, uh, uh, reverses the effects of, uh, the opioid. So usually they're, you know, they're not breathing and they, once you, um, kind of spray that into their nose, it takes a few seconds, but they kind of just come back to life. So, um, that's, that was, uh, definitely a great, uh, policy that president Obama signed in.
0: So I know that, uh, paramedics, EMTs, you know, yes. the ambulance drivers, they, um, deal with that stuff, NARCAN. And so if you go to the city health department and get the, the free training, is NARCAN something that I could keep here on campus in a secondary school? It may obviously it would depend on the district policy, right. that kind of thing. But then if I do that, I'm still calling 911 or have already called 911?
1: Yeah. So that is, um, just because we don't know one, what drug they took exactly and how much, um, that is literally just to kind of get them awake and responsive again until, you know, they can get advanced care. Um, you know, they, paramedics do usually do – they can do multiple in, um, shots, shots if you will. Yeah, injections. Um, but, again, they, they, they still need to get to the hospital at ASAP. So that wouldn't be something that, you know, we'd spray once and they'd be good to go. They would definitely need to get advanced care.
0: So I know police officers would
1: have it with them here on yep.
0: campus, but do you have any idea about – Um, public high school policy for that
1: um you know i do not i know i think people i've heard of a few people that are starting to put it into like their aed kits um just like they are with the stop the bleed stuff so just you know i know every district is going to be different um, and i know state laws not every state um i think allows athletic trainers to have that so that's something that you definitely need to look up um to make sure that you're following your um you know your state laws all right Um, let's see here Um, you know I think that's kind of what I had um, you know and again if anyone had anything else that they'd like to add um, those are really the things I had um, planned for today just you know institutional drug testing or some sort of policy to help you know identify students that may um, be addicted or or are misusing these drugs Um, education again is going to really be at the forefront for for preventing a lot of, uh, you know, our, our overdoses and abuse. Monitoring programs are huge. And I want to say that you can, a physician can elect someone um, to, to uh, be a part of the, the drug monitoring program. It does not, from my understanding, it does not necessarily have to be a physician. So if you work with a physician or under, you know, if you work in a hospital system, um, I think you can be. Uh, serve as someone that is able to check into the drug monitoring program so you can kind of check your patients and see, um, you know, if they're going to different providers to get a pain medication. Um, And then identification, again, just um, knowing, you know, the signs and symptoms associated with overdose um, and knowing those who might be at risk for um, abuse. And then treatment as far as the Narcan goes. If you can, if your state allows it, I would highly recommend it. Um, again, usually the classes are free, and I think there's even some online training that you can do that's totally free.
0: Right, and so the education here is going to be huge because, as Obi shared, that he had an athlete that one time uh, took a pill took an, that wasn't his, and that one pill ended his, his athlete's life. Um, and so just educating them, don't take pills that aren't yours. If they're not prescribed to you, and especially if they're not from a – legit pharmacy um, don't take those medicines because you never know if it's tainted if it, with anything um, and just having those conversations being willing to step in and again I mentioned the AT's care program that helps teach you how to have those critical critical conversations as those, those uh, harder conversations and just being willing to step into the situation um, and allowing, allowing the patient to kind of see the light or to, to formulate their own opinion and move forward there in a way that you want them to. Um, so it's a really good plan as well. So educating. And like we said, if you have a um, a plan for dealing with the, the pain for patients after surgery, then send that to us because we want to see it. We want to share it. I want to put it on the, the link to this podcast there. So um, any anything else you feel like we didn't cover? We need to go over again.
1: Um, you know, I would actually, you know, just kind of piggyback off what you were saying. As far as AT's care, um, if you haven't heard of them, you know, I think, again, I provided a link, but definitely check out the website. Um, The training is great. Um, You know, they have an individual and they have a group training, and you can just use that really in your everyday conversation with your, you know, your student athletes or um, even coaches. Um, But from, you know, someone that's experienced the AT's care, um, it's probably the best program that the NATA has has developed and, um, you know, you know, having someone to talk to about something that's, you know, catastrophic or devastating is is really helpful, not, um, you know, it's easier to talk to someone that knows your schedule and knows what you have to do um, every day. So definitely, you know, use them, Um, they're a great resource.
0: And after taking the course I've been through, I've seen several people posting about like mental health plans. Uh, and, and most of those people were like at universities, you know, cause you have like a staff for that and sure. the more of a one-on-one interaction than you might have here at a high school where you have like 20 on one all the time kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, what does that look like for
1: you at Lamar or is that something you guys are working on? Yeah. So we are actually, um, we are working on our mental health policy. Um, and student health there does have, um, they do have counselors on, on staff for, for students. But, um, I think from, you know, yeah. From our standpoint, as you know, as athletic trainers, always having that resource um, for yourself is is nice too. And you know, some places do offer that, you know, through you know the university or through you know the district. But um, just knowing what's available to you is gonna um, is huge. And AT's care um, is one of them. So that's just one uh, one organization that I know is extremely helpful. All right, any other thoughts? Uh, no, uh, you know, we, we've said it a few times, but, um, you know, we, we know our athletes pretty well and, um, you know, we see them every day. We see them more than, you know, their family does sometimes. So, um, you know, a few minutes of an uncomfortable conversation, you know, can save their life. So just remember that.
0: All right. So again, the people checking in live, I know Andy and Toki just checked in there. Uh, thanks for joining us. Also my new coworker Sophia walked in so she can be part of it so (laughs) hopefully we'll be hearing from her soon she actually worked under OB when she was a student at the University of Houston so um, Patrick O'Haver has been working on the show notes for me typing those up so if you if you want to help type up show notes then that's something we could really use help with um The better the notes that i have on there the easier it is for you to find so like everything that obi said today if we have that in a blog post you can either listen to it watch it or just read and find the answer that you're looking for Uh, and it just helps the athletic trainers helps us improve our practice and may allow us to find that answer in two minutes rather than you know this is a 45 50 minute podcast something like that so if you are interested in listening or if you listen and you want to you know take notes then you know let me know and i can put you on as part of the team and Adding in those show notes there, so thanks, Patrick, for for doing that uh, and just being willing to do that. So, Ob, what's the best way for somebody to get a hold of you?
1: Um, yes, you can uh, reach me by email. It's O b e n a v i d e s i i at lamar edu. Um, that's going to be the the easiest way to get a hold of me.
0: What's the ii?
1: Uh, I'm the second, and that's how. Uh, that's how. Gotcha. Yep. Very okay. confusing. I know, but, um, it's a, so they do it. So, all
0: right. So again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash opioid abuse. So I'll have links to those, the links that Obi shared. And, um, the, where you said the resources for AT's cares, the drug enforcement agency, their website there, um, reach out, talk to your physician, have a plan, create those, share those with us, with everybody. If you have those, um, and then, obviously, the ways to contact us; those those will be on there. And if you're willing to help, type the type up those show notes after listening to this. Then let me know, uh, and I'd love to add your uh, contribution. So, for Jeremy Jackson, host of the Sports Medicine Broadcast, Dr. Obi Benavides, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. Thanks.